First Kings 18 tonight, as we continue our series at the life and ministry of Elijah. Elijah was called by God to restore proper worship in Israel. Israel had become an idolatrous nation. An idol is anything that takes the place of God. God deserves first place. He deserves to have the place of worship. And when anything comes into any of our lives that takes the place of God, it is an idol. The nation of Israel were worshiping idols rather than Jehovah. And that worship needed to be restored. So let's just go back and quickly review. God sent a drought. There was no rain in Israel for three plus years. God went to extreme measures to draw his people back to him. Sometimes in our life, we will go through seasons of dryness. That dryness is allowed by God so that we remember and recall the fertileness and the fruitfulness we had when we walked with God and how when we've walked away from God and filled our life with other things that we became dry through our own choice to walk away from God, just as they did. So Elijah comes on the scene, announces the drought, then God protects him. We saw where revival begins, when God's people begin to step out and step up. Elijah did that by going before King Ahab and predicting and prophesying the, the famine and the drought. And then Obadiah also stepped up and stepped out by also going before uh, Ahab. Whenever after three years, guess what? Elijah is back. The other thing we saw last week was when Elijah came back, he gave the people of God a message. He said, how long are you going to be paralyzed by indecision? You're literally dancing from one God to another God. You are not a people of conviction. You are not a people who are following God fully. You're worshiping Baal one day, and then you're worshiping Jehovah another day. That won't work. He says to them, if the Lord is God, then worship him. If Baal's God, fine, worship him, but settle it once and for all. So we see that revival begins when God's people begin to step up and step out, but revival continues whenever the people of God begin to settle their conviction about God and where their hearts are fully his and where there's not this divided heart where we're sort of in with God, but not fully. Now, I want to pick it up in verse 22. After this, Elijah says to the people of God, I am literally alone. I'm the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but there are 450 prophets of Baal. The odds were against Elijah. One against 450. But here's where even our worship of God begins to transform our perspective and our outlook. God must become greater than the odds stacked against us. Let me repeat that. God must become greater than the odds stacked against us. Because most of the time, 
the odds, if you will, from an earthly perspective will not be in our favor, or at least look like it. That's where our faith is tested and strengthened. In fact, many times, in order to test and strengthen the faith of God's people, he will literally make the odds even greater against us to see if we're going to trust him. One, hundred and four, one against 450 are not good odds, are they? Unless God is part of the equation. Think also about the story of Gideon. How Gideon was going to go to battle and God kept reducing the number of soldiers that was going to accompany a Gideon in the battle. It was like only 300 God against all these thousands that's all you're going to give me? Yeah, because God wants his people to understand. It may seem as if the odds are stacked against you, but I'm the Lord of hosts. And as long as I'm involved in the battle, the battle is the Lord's. And I have not ever lost a battle. I never will lose a battle. I will prevail against any enemy, which is why Jehovah was willing to to accept the challenge from these false gods, because there is no challenge. In fact, I started to think about even sort of titling this passage spiritual warfare, but there really wasn't a lot of warfare going on. The false gods were false gods, and they couldn't do anything, and the Lord shows up and does exactly what Elijah prophesied. So I hope in your life, think about little shepherd boy David going up against giant Goliath, odds stacked against him, right? Not as long as God was involved. You may feel at times like the odds in life are stacked against you. Trust the Lord in those moments. If God is for you, then who can be against you? It doesn't matter the odds. We, again, are to walk by faith, not by sight. And so just like Elijah was willing to stand on Mount Carmel, Against 450 others, it seemed like the odds weren't good. Also, Elijah then says, verse 23, let them bring up two bulls. Let them, the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls for themselves, cut it up into pieces, place it on the wood for the offering, and they must not set it on fire. Then I'll do the same to the other bull, and I'll place it on the wood, but I will not set it on fire. Then you will invoke the name of your God, and I will invoke the name of the Lord, Jehovah. By the way, the word invoke means to appeal for the God to display his power. We'll talk more about that in a little way. Then he says, the God who responds with fire will demonstrate that he is the true God. And all the people said, you know what? We can, go, we can get on board with that. that that's fair. We'll prepare two offerings, two bulls. We'll cry out to our God, Baal. You cry out to your God, Jehovah. And whichever God answers or responds by fire, that will be the one that proves to be the true God. I want to go back to this word responds in the Net Bible in verse 24 because you're going to see this throughout the passage. It's a very important word. It's a word that means answer as well as respond. It's also a word that means paying attention. I want you to think about that, especially in relationship to our God, who is God, right? 
The idea here is that one of the other things we're going to see and why our God should be worshipped is he is a God who always responds to his people. He is a God who always answers our prayers. He is a God who is always paying attention to us. We need to remember that. Even when we don't think God is seeing us or paying attention to us, he never takes his eyes off of us. Okay? So then verse 25, Elijah told the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls for yourselves and go first. So he gave them, you know, first. He, he wants to stack the odds even greater in their favor. We're going to see this later on. He wants there to be no doubt that Jehovah is God. He says, you're the majority. Invoke the name of your God. Appeal to him to display his power and come and set the offering on fire as a response of, I accept the offering, right? But do not light the fire. The God has to be the one to bring the fire. So they took a bull, verse 26, as had been suggested. They prepared it for the offering. They invoked the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. Remember? Baal, respond. Baal, are you paying attention? But notice these words, because this won't be the last time you see this phrase. There was no sound and no answer. Think about it. These people were basically begging their God, do something, show up. Don't make us look bad, Baal. Light this bull on fire. Morning till evening, it gets better. They jumped around on the altar they had made. They danced around on the altar. Why do I say that? Because remember what Elijah said to the people? How long are you going to dance between two opinions? And here now, what are the prophets of Baal doing? They're literally dancing upon the altar they made, trying to get the attention of their God. Now, whether this is right or not, and a lot of Christians have a problem with Elijah here, and I'm certainly not going to say he did the right thing here, but he is in the midst of a battle. He mocks them. He apparently is picking up the fact that they're having a difficult time getting their God's attention. So he says, yell louder. After all, he is a God, right? Maybe he's deep in thought. Perhaps he stepped out for a moment and has taken a trip. Literally, in the original, he's relieving himself in the toilet. Oh, no. He, he's going to the bathroom, right? Maybe you just need to wait a little bit and he'll come back. In fact, it's even more graphic in the original. I, we won't go into it. They yelled louder. And in accordance with their prescribed ritual, they mutilated themselves with swords and spears until their bodies were covered with blood. Throughout the afternoon, verse 29, they were in an ecstatic frenzy. But don't miss that phrase. No matter what they did, there was no sound, no answer, no response. Their God was not answering, not responding, not paying attention no matter what they did. 
This teaches us something about idolatry. And it's something that you and I need to be reminded of because we live in a world filled with idolatry today where instead of people being fulfilled and satisfied in God who alone can fulfill and satisfy, they try to be fulfilled and satisfied by other things that promise them fulfillment and satisfaction but can never bring it. And what do they do? They do everything for those other idols. Notice here, there is no lack of commitment, devotion, energy, and effort upon these worshipers' part. In fact, they put the people of God to shame because they're more committed to their false God than much of the people of God are to the real God. And we can say the same thing today, can we not? That when you look around the world today and you see people going after idolatrous false gods, that many times their commitment, their devotion, their energy, their willingness to do whatever to appease their God is greater than what we as Christians do to worship the one true God. And notice something else. It is all about performance, isn't it? They have to do so many things in order to make their God either love them, like them, pay attention to them. They're literally cutting themselves. They're yelling. They're doing everything they can to try to get their God's attention when our God pays attention to us all the time. Even when we don't pay attention to him our God, as we sung about tonight, is always faithful to us, whether we are ever faithful to him. That's the kind of God we have, not the kind of God that needs us to perform for him in order to somehow make him love us or like us or appease him in some way as these idols do. I, idols abuse their worshipers. They, they offer and they promise so many things and these people go after all these other things in the world to try to find their happiness and their fulfillment and satisfaction and they literally either give their life over to these other things and they never get back. In fact, it sucks the life out of them. It destroys their life. It promises a bunch of things that it can never deliver on. And here's God all the time saying, I love you. Just come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. For my yoke is easy to bear and my load is not hard to carry. Wow. Totally different God, right? And yet that's what's happening here. And here's something else. Why is idolatry such a serious thing? Because it robs and steals God's glory. Remember, God's glory is God on display. So let's take us, for example. And anytime we are pursuing an idol in our life, something becomes more important to us than God something we go after to fulfill and satisfy us other than God. 
we're robbing God being on display in our life because we're saying that other thing or that other person or that, that uh, a circumstance or experience or something that I, I can get involved in, it can do for me what my God cannot do. And yet all along, all we have to do is realize that everything we will ever want, everything we will ever need can be found all within Jesus Christ. We rob him of his glory. We steal his glory away when we run after idols. See, re revival not only requires that God's people step out and step up. It not only requires that we settle our conviction once and for all that we're going to follow God fully, but revival requires that we realize that the false securities in our lives are robbing us of God's glory. We're looking for stability and security and satisfaction in other things other than God, and therefore God cannot be on display in our life like he wants to. Verse 30, Elijah then told all the people, approach me, come close. Why? Because Elijah wants to make sure that when he starts, that they don't think there's any kind of magic tricks going on here. He's not going to play Houdini here with the offering. He, he's going to let them get close and see everything that he does. And he's going to begin to stack the odds even further against his God, Jehovah. Why? Because he knows that his God is the true God, and his God can overcome any odds and any obstacles that go up against him. So he says, all the people approached him. And then notice this. This is very important. He repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. See, at one time, there was a place of worship on this mountain. But because of idolatry, not only were there places of worship erected to false gods, but the places of worship that were erected at one time to Jehovah had been torn down and broken down. So he's literally mending it. In fact, the word repaired can also mean healing. Elijah is putting the place of worship back and restoring it and repairing it. Revival is rebuilding the altar of God in our life. It is restoring the priority of worship. It is saying, you know what? My place of worship and the priority of worship in my life is not what it used to be. I need to go back and put, put some healing, if you will, and some renovation and some reparations into the priority and place of worship in my life. Making God now number one again and not chasing after all these other idols. Notice Elijah took 12 stones, verse 31, corresponding to the number of tribes that descended from Jacob, to whom the Lord had said, Israel will be your new name. Why is that significant? Because right now Israel is a divided nation. This is all about the northern kingdom of Israel. Judah is not even now together with Israel anymore. They have separated. Oh, and by the way, when Ahab became the king and married Wicked Jezebel, they set Samaria as the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel and put the worship of Baal as the prominent worship in that 
capital city. That's how far idolatry had come in Israel. I think by putting the 12 stones there, he's saying the only thing that can bring us back together again as God's people is our worship of God. And I feel that way today even, that even as God's people, we are so divided and we've allowed the things of this world to divide us from one another. And the only thing that's going to heal us and bring us back together again is when we make the worship of God prominent again in our churches and in our lives. I love this too. Elijah says, remember, the Lord named Jacob Israel. Why is that important at this point? Because the name Israel means God persists, God perseveres. Think about that even with the nation of Israel. God will persist, God will persevere, no matter what comes against Israel. And we're going to see that in just a moment, by the way, Elijah sets up his own sacrifice. It doesn't matter what odds or what obstacles are against Jehovah. Jehovah can overcome them all. He will persevere. What did Gamaliel say to his fellow Pharisees in the book of Acts? He says, look, leave these people who call themselves Christians or followers of Jesus Christ alone, because if this is of man, it will come to nothing on its own. But if it's of God, you won't be able to stop it. Because God cannot be stopped. That's why Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not be, prevail against it. And by the way, when Jesus said that, he literally was standing outside of a place called the gates of hell there in Israel. It was a place that was known as sort of a demonic portal where there was a lot of demonic activity. In a sense, Jesus is going up to the front door of the demonic world and saying, I'm going to build my church right at your front door, and you can't do a thing about it. That's the power of Jesus. Nothing intimidates him, nor should anything intimidate us as his followers. So notice verse 32 with the stones he constructed or rebuilt an altar or place of worship for the Lord. Around the altar, he made a trench large enough to contain two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut up the bowl, placed it on the wood. Then he said, fill four water jars and pour the water on the offering and on the wood. When they had done so, he said, do it again. So they did it again. Then he said, do it a third time. They did it to the third time so that the water flowed down all sides of the altar and filled the trench. Somebody forgot to tell Elijah that water makes it harder for fire to start. See, but what was Elijah doing as the prophet of God? He was eliminating every possible advantage that the people thought he had. He was disproving every potential excuse, trying to somehow eliminate any kind of thing that they could throw up. If the sacrifice was going to be burned, it could only happen by the hand of God. I wrote in my Bible these words, obstacles, no matter how great, are no match for our God. He's God. Nothing is too hard or too difficult for our God. 
He could have thrown 10,000 gallons of water on that bull. If God, our Lord, Jehovah, wanted to light that up, he could light it up no problem. He could light it up with both hands tied behind his back. It's not even an issue with God. That's how great our God is. And when you and I begin to worship God that way, we will begin to understand these things. And it will fill us with encouragement and with confidence as we live our lives. Because like Elijah, we will go, you know what? It doesn't matter what the odds are against me. It doesn't matter what the obstacles are in my way. God's got me and got us, and he's going to see us through all this, and he's going to persist, and he's going to persevere, and he's going to prevail, and because he prevails, I'm going to prevail. When, verse 36, it was time for the evening offering, Elijah the prophet approached it, drew near. In fact, the word approached can also mean to worship at the altar, at the place of worship. And what did he do? Now, remember that. In contrast to what the prophets of Baal did, they screamed, they yelled, they danced. They mutilated themselves. They cut themselves. They were covered with blood. And all Elijah did was just pray. Why? Because our God pays attention. Because our God is the one true God. Because our God answers, because our God responds whenever we call upon him. Aren't you glad that when you call upon the Lord, he answers us? The Lord of glory, the one who created everything we see, including us, anytime we call upon him, and he invites us to call upon him, often, pray. In all things, pray without ceasing. I'll answer you. Jeremiah says, call on me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. Call upon the Lord. That's what Elijah did. And Elijah makes four requests of his prayer. He says, God, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, reveal your power, reveal your prophet, reveal your people, and reveal your purpose. Notice these in the next Two verses, verses 36 and 37. First, reveal your power. Prove today that you are God in Israel. Invoke, appealing to God to demonstrate his power. You know what? When God begins to bring revival, you know what he does? He begins to reveal his power amongst his people. He begins to prove who he really is and what he's capable of. We're seeing that here, even in our church, and I praise God for it, and I want it to continue. God is revealing his power. He's also revealing his prophet. Not, not that Elijah was saying, God, vindicate me, but what he is saying, if you read it, is that, God, I want these people to know that I didn't just come up with this stuff on my own. The prophecy about no rain and drought and famine and all that. And, and I didn't just come up with this plan of the two bulls and putting water and all that. No, I did all of this at your direction. I, I want them to see that I'm just your mouthpiece. 
that I'm just being guided by you. And so God does vindicate and confirm and, and affirm those who are willing to step out by faith and follow God's direction. Notice what he says. Prove that you're God, but also prove that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your command. At your command. That's the key. Then notice, reveal your people. Verse 37 starts out with, answer me. With that, respond, God. Pay attention. And he knows God will. And then he says, oh, Lord, answer me again. Pay attention. Respond so that these people will know that you are the Lord. Let's find out, God, who's going who's to be on your side after this. Reveal your people. Once you demonstrate that you are real, that you are alive, that you are active, that your power is there, then let, let, let's see who steps out and steps up and says, yep, we're with God. And then notice, last but certainly not least, reveal your purpose. Oh, Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you Oh, Lord, of the true God, and, and that you are winning back their allegiance. Literally in the Hebrew, that you are changing their hearts, that you are turning their face to your face. I love that. When I think of that, I, I think of, like, say, a, a parent or grandparent sort of just gently and tenderly grabbing the head of a little child and just holding it up, looking eyeball to eyeball and saying, I love you. It's going to be okay. You, you, you turned your face away and you got caught up with all these circumstances and all these things going on here, and you need to come back and you need to look into the eyes of God and, and, and allow God to assure you everything's going to be okay. Turn their face back towards your face because their face has been occupied with so many other things. They have run after idols. They have sought other things to satisfy and fulfill them other than you, God. Change their heart. Bring them back to you. That's what this is all about, restoring proper worship in Israel. And what is that really? It's just turning the hearts of God's people back to God. That's what revival is. Revival is not about seeing those that don't know God come to him. I mean, that's great if that happens. But revival, something needs to first be there in order to be revived. Revival is when God's people get on board with God again. And when that happens, I guarantee you then witnessing and testifying and people coming to know the Lord and, and being saved, and all that, that'll happen because revival happened amongst God's people. So what happens? Well, the one true God answers Elijah's prayer. Why? Because he's a God who responds. He's a God who answers. He's a God who's paying attention. And notice, supernatural fire fell from the Lord from the sky. Because fire doesn't come from the sky, right? This wasn't just, this was supernatural fire that God sent out of the heavens to the offering. And notice, it consumed. It literally, in the Hebrew, it ate it up. It devoured the whole burnt offering, that whole bowl. 
Boom. It's like it vaporized it. And it didn't stop there. This supernatural fire of God lapped up the wood, the stones, the dirt, even licked up the water in the trench. There was nothing left. That's how God showed up. There was no question in this, in a sense, battle of the gods. Who was the true God? Those poor people... They did everything imaginable to try to get their God who wasn't God to pay attention to them. And he never answered. Not a peep. But the one true God, all he needed was a faithful prayer from one of his followers, and he sends fire falls from heaven. Folks, I believe in that same God today. I believe in a God who can, in a sense, bring fire down from heaven and be in the midst of his people in a powerful way and turn our hearts back to him and get our faces away from so many other things and turn our face back to look into his glorious face. Verse 39, when all the people saw this, notice, they threw themselves down with their faces to the ground. They fell prostrate, bowing before the Lord. What's that? That's an action of worship. That, that's basically acknowledging, God, you're God and I'm not. I bow before you, God. And then they say this, the Lord is the true God. The Lord is the true God. You know what they were saying? They were saying the name Elijah. Remember what Elijah's name is? Yah is God. That's what they were saying here. Yah is God. Yah is God. Elijah, Elijah, is what they were saying. What happened? All of this happened. From the drought all the way through this battle on Mount Carmel. All was for what? What was it all for? It was all to get God's people, hearts, back to him. Because that's, for us, that's what it needs to be about. Everything else will take care of itself when our hearts are aligned with God. But then notice this. Elijah then said, seize the prophets of Baal, strike them down. Don't even let one of them escape, all 450. So they seized them. Elijah led them down to the Kishon Valley and executed them there, all 450. Now, some today would go, whoa, that's, that's pretty extreme, right? You know why Elijah did that at the prompting of the Lord? He was eliminating completely the evil influence in Israel. And that's a biblical principle. See, too often we coddle the evil influences in our life rather than cut them off. And that's why we continue to struggle. Is we don't deal radically enough with the evil influences. What did Jesus say? If your eye offends you, what? Pluck it out. If your right hand offends you, what? Cut it off. Now again, not literally, but what he is saying there is the same thing that Elijah did. Whatever it's creeping into your life that's pulling you away from me. Cut it off. 
would you and I have a cancer surgery and go to our surgeon and say to the surgeon, now, if you can get it all, don't. Get 90% get of it, but just leave 10% of that cancer still in my body. No, that would be ludicrous. If they can get the whole thing out, we want it all out. And yet, spiritually speaking, we allow certain things to just sort of hang there instead of just cutting it off. That's why Elijah did what he did. You see, revival isn't just about us turning our hearts to God, but when we do so, realizing that I don't need any of that other stuff anymore. Because all that other stuff that I was running after, again, like idols do, they abuse their worshipers. They promised me a lot, but they never delivered. I gave years to that thing or that person or that, that you know, entity, and, and, and all it did was it robbed me. It took from me, never gave me anything. And God, who wants to give me all good things and will withhold no good thing from those who love him, we ignore him. And that's why God says, I need to call my people back to me. Not only so that they can see my glory, but so that they will be benefited and blessed by my clear presence in their life because I'm the only one, the only one that can satisfy and fulfill them. Nothing or no one else can. As we leave here tonight, I leave you with these words. Elijah says, God, this is what I'm praying. Prove today that you're God in Israel. I'm praying that prayer for our nation. God, prove today that you're still God in America. Prove today, God, that you're still God in this world. No matter what goes on, prove it. Show yourself in this place. Then reveal your prophets. Reveal your people, God. Those of us who are willing to stand up for you and step out for you and believe in you by faith, that we're just doing things according to your word, God. We're not just out there doing our own thing. We're, we're doing what we're doing under your direction and your leading, God. And then reveal your purpose. That, God, you're doing whatever you're doing. Whatever you're allowing, Lord, you're doing it so that you can win the hearts of your people back to you, so that we will be fully devoted to you, God, because that's what it's all about. Let's pray. God, thank you tonight that many thousand years ago, a man stood alone on Mount Carmel because he believed in you as the one true God. Lord, may we believe in you as the one true God. May we allow you, God, to change our hearts and turn our faces back towards your face. Instead of getting enamored and caught up with the things of this world, instead of allowing the circumstances and situations that's going on in the world to cause fear and anxiety and stress, God, may we rest as your people in you. And may you become so big and so great and so awesome in our sight that everything else just fades away, God. If we need to rebuild the place of worship in our life, the altar 
of, of the Lord in our life, God, help us to do that. Help us to make worship the priority it needs to be once again. So that not only, Lord, our life can be changed, but so that you can use our life to impact and influence other people just as you did Elijah. God, thank you for the worship that we've experienced tonight. Thank you, God, for your word that's gone forth tonight. Lord, it's all about you, and to you alone be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Before you all leave tonight, I just want to say to those of you that served our country and served us, thank you very much for your service to our nation. We honor you today. Yes. We, we have the country that we do because of the sacrifice of you and so many others who've went before you and who are still out there tonight somewhere in this world keeping us safe. So God bless all of you. We'll see you next week.